I want to call your attention now to the book of Proverbs, chapter 13. Proverbs 13. Before we read, let me say this in way of introduction. Proverbs are little parables, short illustrations and wise sayings. And if you're familiar with the book of Proverbs, you know that over half of the book is these short, wise sayings that stand alone. And such is the case uh, here in Proverbs chapter 13. And so this is a standalone proverb that we read in verse 7 that we want to consider here today and apply to us. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. This proverb tells us that things are not always what they appear to be. Sometimes the true state of a person is the opposite of what appears on the surface. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. There are two ways to approach this verse depending on how we understand the reflexive verb maketh. <clears throat> it can be taken one of two ways. First, it may be taken in a sense of pretending or misrepresenting reality. Taking it in that way, then this verse tells us that there are some who pretend to be rich, but they do that only to deceive others. And we see illustrations of that uh, that sometimes make headlines in the news. I think I saw one uh, this very week. Some one pretends to be very wealthy and influential and uh, travel in high circles of important and powerful people. And in some cases, uh, a man like this convinces investors to put large sums of money into his Ponzi scheme. When come to find out and when the truth is told, none of it was what it appeared to be. 
And he was a deceiver and he stole the money. And people lost huge sums of money with this deceiver. On the other hand, as the last part of the proverb says, there are some who pretend to be poor. They're not really poor, but they they present themselves as if they were very poor. And they conceal a great amount of wealth. And they do that perhaps uh, in order to keep people from coming and asking for money or to keep from being frowned upon because they keep it all for themselves and are not generous and uh, benevolent toward others who are not so fortunate. In his commentary on Proverbs, Gary Brady tells of a British woman named Christine Gulick who was a spinster who lived a pauper's life, relying on handouts from friends, living in a tiny apartment. When she died at the age of 95, she left a fortune of 12 million pounds to 10 different charities. So you have on the one hand those who pretend to be rich, who are really poor, and those who pretend to be poor, who are really rich. But both of them are deceivers. And that's one way that this proverb may be understood. Or, secondly, it may be understood that it's speaking of those who make an endeavor. There are those who endeavor to be rich, and yet they end up with nothing, and those who endeavor to be poor, and yet end up with great riches. And taking it in this way, it would be something of a parallel to the proverb in chapter 11 and verse 24 that says, There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. And looking at the proverb in this way, it's drawing a contrast <clears throat> between those who desire to be rich and those who do not. There are some who endeavor to get rich but end up with nothing, and there are some who willingly impoverish themselves who end up very rich and with everything as opposed to nothing. And this Taking it in this way, the person described in the last part of the proverb is not a deceiver, he's not a schemer, but is very sincere and self-sacrificing. 
And for our purposes today, I want to take this proverb in that second sense and apply it in various ways. First of all, we may apply it materially, as is what is on the surface here of of this verse. You have on the one hand those who are greedy. Those who are always trying to gather in for themselves. Those who live chiefly for self and for selfish gain and selfish pleasure. Who put themselves first. As the old saying goes, you've got to watch out for old number one. After all, if you don't watch out for yourself, who will? So you've got to put yourself first, they say. Well, that is a sure recipe for winding up with nothing. Nothing of real value. No friends. No influence. Not needed by anyone, anywhere. No legacy except what some unappreciative heir will waste after you're gone. The one who desires to make himself rich is never really satisfied either. He never has enough. No matter how much he has, he always wants more, always grasping, always grasping for more and more. And such a one truly ends up a pitiful sight. Reminds me of a sermon title I saw many years ago, Filthy Rich and Miserable. Such a one ends up really pitied by those who know his real inward condition. And you follow the life, if you can stand it, of so many of these so-called celebrities, the ones who are celebrated for really no good reason. And the only ones who really celebrate them and admire them are those who really don't know them. When the truth comes out, these people are painfully lonely and empty. They have only superficial friends who hover around them, hoping to get their hands on some of their earthly substance. They can't trust anyone. I heard recently of uh, a whole field of of occupation of those who are the managers for uh, some of these uh, sports celebrities especially. And they have to help weed out all of the the so-called friends that come and 
want to get their hands on some of their wealth. And it's not unusual to, to read of someone who for a number of years made a great sum of money or was paid a great salary and then a few years later in the sports world especially they can't play anymore they're they're past their prime and all their money's gone and they're working uh, some job like you and I would work there is that maketh himself rich and yet hath nothing they end up poor and discontented if you want to be perfectly miserable then live for yourself first and you'll end up with nothing but yourself and that is deep poverty on the other hand There are those who are generous, who give and give and give. They give of themselves. They live for others. They live to serve. They long to help others. And in a Christian context, of course, they serve God by serving others. And inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of one of these, Jesus said, you've done it unto me. They sacrifice of themselves for the sake of others and the good of others. They love their neighbor as themselves. And it's as if they forget about themselves in their concern for their neighbors. Such a one ends up much happier than the former. They end up much wealthier in terms of things that really count. They are surrounded by friends, and not just greedy friends, but sincere friends. They live a life that is rich with meaning and purpose. They are needed in life. They are lamented in death. And by the grace of God, they have laid up treasures in heaven. It is to such ones, or it is, to, it is these who have followed the instructions that Paul gives to Timothy when he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich, and that's that will of determination, they that determine to be rich, he says, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. 
For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You know, covetousness is deadly, it says. Riches cost much more than their worth. A little later in this same chapter, he says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. And so this is an application of this proverb in a material way. But let us apply it also in a more spiritual way We see something of a parallel in the New Testament to this proverb in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I was looking at these passages, I I did not know until now that or how much of a repeated emphasis this was from our Lord. If we understand the chronology It appears that our Lord said something very similar on no less than four occasions in his public ministry. And one of them is recorded in three Gospels, and the others are recorded in uh, once each. But let me give it to you from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four different occasions, slight variations of the same principle, He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And then in Mark, whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. In the Gospel of Luke, we read where Jesus said, Remember Lot's wife, and we know how that she coveted after the the things that she left behind in Sodom. Remember Lot's wife, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. And finally, in John chapter 12, he that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. What's Jesus telling us here? He's telling us that those who love this present world, whose only life is this present life, who seek to live their best life now 
will ultimately lose it and they will lose it all. They will be the biggest of losers. Such a one is epitomized in the rich fool of Luke chapter 12. Let me just read there quickly. He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Fool, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. In other words, you're going to die tonight. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich Toward God. This man ended up with nothing. He ended up leaving it all behind immediately. He ended up a, an absolute pauper before God. You know, Job said, I came into this world naked and I will leave this world naked. So it is. We don't take anything with us. We sometimes joke and tease about it and say, oh, you know, put a long rope on it so you can pull it behind you. But there's no such thing as that. Our Lord, again, is telling us in this oft-repeated admonition that those who give up their small earthly ambitions and live for heavenly interests are those who in the end will gain everything and lose nothing. Those who deny themselves and who die to self and who die to sin and who die to this world, and who lose everything to follow Christ, those who take up the cross and follow Him, even to the death, are those who are the true winners and who enjoy the true riches in both time and eternity. You say time and eternity? Well, consider what Jesus said in another passage in Mark chapter 10. He said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive 
a hundredfold. Now, in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. Those who sacrifice to follow Christ, Christ will in his own way Reward them and repay them. If your family casts you out, what does he promise? To give you a spiritual family. To give you brothers and sisters in Christ. And so on. No doubt this happened in the first century. And it has happened many times since then. That a, a person in a, an unbelieving family becomes a Christian and is put out of the household even. And what happens? There are believers who open their homes to them, to welcome them in. That's what the Lord is talking about here. That's his reward for those who sacrifice for him in this life. And then in the world to come, he says, they enter into life everlasting. God will not be indebted to any of us. He will repay more than anyone loses for his sake. Paul speaks to the Philippians of all that he gave up and, and counted as a loss for Christ, and yet he speaks of all that he gained, and gaining Christ himself is the reward. Let me just give it to you in the words of inspiration. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. There's the real gain. There's the real riches. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, that I may gain him And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead." So Paul speaks of his losses, but he also speaks of his gain. And what he gained was so much better than anything that he had lost. He obviously has no regrets. He describes himself in another place as as poor, yet making many rich. Like his master, Paul ended up quite impoverished in terms of earthly things. And yet he was a a channel through which the saving grace of God was communicated and carried all over the place. And in in a spiritual sense then, he was able to make many people rich with the unsearchable riches of Christ. As having nothing and yet possessing all things. He said, I don't own anything and yet I own everything. God more than repaid him for whatever 
he sacrificed. <clears throat> Perhaps in an even more foundational way, or to state it in a in the most foundational way, there is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. The riches of salvation are freely given to those who abandon all self-righteousness and who come humbly to Christ confessing their spiritual poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who comes to Christ for salvation comes empty-handed as a pauper. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. But on the other hand, those who clutch their own self-righteousness, they end up in eternal poverty. Those who deceive themselves into thinking that they possess plenty of goodness in themselves end up the ones spiritually bankrupt. Again, this is pictured by our Lord in a familiar story. It goes like this. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Oh, he's such a rich character spiritually. He has so much to offer God. I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican, this thieving tax gatherer. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful. Now, what does that mean? It means he is needy. He doesn't have anything to bring to God, nothing to offer to God worth having. Be merciful to me, a sinner. You know the rest of the story. Jesus said, I tell you, this man, the second man, went down to his house justified rather than the other. He went home a rich man spiritually. The, other, the, the, the Pharisee went home a poor man, utterly bankrupt. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, 
and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. One more passage that we ought to consider is the words to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You know, our opinion of ourselves must match reality. Not what we wish it were, but what it truly is. So you have, on the one hand, the poor rich man, spiritually speaking. He's really poor, but he thinks he's rich. And then, on the other hand, you have the rich poor man. He's truly rich in grace, though he is poor and humble before God. And all of us are one of those two. Are you the poor rich man or the rich poor man? Or to put it in terms of Romans chapter 10 and verse 3, are you trying to establish your own righteousness? Or have you surrendered to the righteousness that is established by Jesus Christ? That, in some ways, is the New Testament counterpart of this proverb, taking it in the way that we're taking it. There is that maketh himself rich. There's the self-righteous, yet has nothing. There is that maketh himself poor. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's the one who enjoys the great riches of saving grace. So I urge you to confess your spiritual poverty. Don't pretend at self-righteousness, but forsake it and confess your need and find the riches of grace in Christ. But I want to apply this proverb in one more way. We've seen it applied materially. We've seen it applied spiritually. But let's apply it celestially. Because it seems to me that we see the great contrast here between the devil and the Lord Jesus Christ. We read that passage earlier from Isaiah 14, though it is spoken of as a message to the the king of Babylon, I don't think you can help but see Satan behind him called Lucifer. He aspired to great riches. He aspired to enrich himself to challenge God and to dethrone God 
and ascend to the throne himself, as the wording here says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And thus from Genesis 3 and onward, we see this grand conflict of the ages that continues to rage to this day. But as Isaiah 14 tells us, and many other passages also, in the end, what happens to the devil? He's brought to nothing, less than nothing. In Revelation chapter 20, we see him cast into the lake of fire himself. There is that maketh himself rich, and yet hath nothing. Satan's efforts at sinful gain leave him lower than the lowest. A total loss. And by way of contrast, in our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we see one who made himself poor and yet hath great riches. You know, Paul uses those very terms in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 when he says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he became poor, that we, through his poverty, might be rich. He humbled himself. He emptied himself of outward glory in becoming incarnate as a man, a lowly man upon earth. He laid aside the honor and the glory of heaven, came to this earth as a man, a humble, lowly man. And then in God's time, humbled himself even more and gave up his very life, became obedient unto death, lost everything, including his life and his blood. But now, having achieved in his life and death the redemption of his people, He was raised up in glory and honor and highly exalted. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Here are the great riches that he enters into. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Oh, what great riches. In the words of Psalm 2, he comes to inherit all things. He who emptied himself and gave up everything, including his very life, being raised from the dead, comes into possession 
of everything. Ask of me, the Father says to the Son, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. He's quoted in Hebrews chapter 12 as saying, Behold, I and the children which God hath given me. This is a very amazing and profound and humbling and yet rejoicing thing to consider. If you are a believer in him, he counts you as his child and as his possession. And as his special inheritance, believer in Christ, he considers us as his gain, his wealth, his riches. I don't understand it. It's the most amazing thing. How he could put such a high premium upon such unworthy people as we. But he does. He's the one who made himself poor and yet has great riches. Let us marvel in this gospel scheme. It's a glorious, glorious truth. Let us believe it. Let us believe on the Savior who is revealed in the gospel. Do you see him here in Proverbs 13, 7? And do you see yourself here in this proverb in union with Christ. Let's examine our hearts as we sing a closing hymn.